It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 94, the final event of the 2021 WSL Challenger Series, the Michelob Ultra Pure Gold Haleiwa Challenger on Oahu's North Shore has commenced and is streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. It is the last opportunity for those looking to be next up on the Elite Championship Tour in 2022, and everything is on the line for these Challenger Series surfers at Haleiwa. Do not miss it. All right, episode 94. Today's guest is someone who is on the cusp of returning to the elite WSL championship tour next season. A fixture on the global stage since his teenage years, he had a three-year stint amongst the world's best before being relegated to the Challenger Series just before the pandemic hit. However, despite the setback, this man wasted zero time, putting together a convincing qualifying campaign an elite level video segment in Snap 4. And oh yeah, he won a little show called The Ultimate Surfer. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Hawaii's Ezekiel Lau. The good old clap take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put him up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> you're boxing. Right on. We have today Ezekiel Lau, the pride of Hawaii, on the lineup with us. Zeke, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. Well, how are you doing today? Where are you today? Who are you hanging out with? I'm doing great today. You know, life's been good. A lot of good things happening. We finally got some waves on the North Shore today. So I'm just at home right now. It's actually just me and my cat, Corella. She's here. Corella, <laughs> like Corella Deville, the cat? That, that like Corella Deville. Um, <laughs> we're actually watching the new Corella on Disney Plus the day before we got her. So when we got her, we were just way too psyched on Corella and just ended up naming her that. That works. That works. <laughs> and what you said, you said, the North Shore is finally getting waves. Has it been kind of a slow yeah. start to the season? Well, there was a few swells early, and then the last few weeks have just been pretty dead and bad wind and really small waves. So it's finally starting to ramp back up, and um, the conditions are really nice. I've just been watching the cams all morning, so just finishing some stuff up around the house and going to head out there this afternoon. Very, very responsible day after your birthday. We were actually supposed to record yesterday. So I was going to send a note to your manager and be like, I can't believe you set him up like on his birthday to record. I'm glad we knocked that like a day later. Yeah, no worries. I mean, it's kind of hard. You live as a surfer, you kind of live every day as it's like it's your birthday. All I want to do is go surf and I do that every day. So I kind of just don't know what else to do on my birthday besides do the same thing. So we actually just went out to the North Shore and enjoyed the day at the beach. It was really fun and relaxing and um, just enjoying another year. Love it. And so you're probably going to, when we wrap this conversation, you're probably going to go surf. This podcast is going <laughs> to drop uh, Tuesday in the 
Haleiwa Challenger window. So when you do go surf right now, are you are you going to Haleiwa or are you going surfing somewhere else? I'm going straight to Haleiwa. Um, right. Hopefully get there by 3 o'clock and looks like the swell should be filling in. So get some practice in. Um, I actually haven't surfed in like before yesterday. I didn't surf for like a week and a half. So I'm mm. frothing. Does that happen a lot? Do you end up getting kind of breaks in your surfing where it's like, oh, like I'll have a week here or two weeks there or is it pretty rare for you? Um, I feel like in Hawaii, it kind of happens a lot where you'll go on streaks of just the waves aren't that good. You're doing other stuff. I guess we're just spoiled and I don't want to surf unless it's firing. <laughs> so <laughs> I end up not surfing for a week here or there. But in a way, I think it's good. It's kind of good to rest your body, especially if like you just got off a string of comps and you come home and it's hard when there's waves right when you come home and you're just trying to surf and just get out there because it's hard not to surf when there's good waves. But um, you just got to take the rest when you can because you can burn out pretty easily and you just got to save it up for, you know, when it's time to go. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, a lot of things have been going right for you lately from the outside. It, it seems that way as well. Obviously, big win at the Ultimate Surfer, but huge Challenger Series victory at the Mayo Vizla Pro Aracera, locking in your qualification to return to where you belong on the Elite Championship Tour. Right before we started recording, I was watching your segment in Logan Dooley and Snap 4 to get psyched up, oh, which sick. I... I we're going to get to that in a minute, but holy shit. Okay. Um, everything's <laughs> clicking for you right now, man. What, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you kind of attest that to? I guess it's been a unique 18 months with COVID yeah. and kind of the world shutting down, but it feels like you've emerged with so much momentum. Has that been mm-hmm. intentional on your part? Like, Have you put in kind of work and goal setting to get to where you are right now, or is that just something that kind of happened? I think it was intentional. You know, I kind of, to be honest... I guess I can thank COVID for everything right now. Uh, I feel like for where I was in my life in 2019, falling off tour, Mm. it would have been hard for me to go through that and jump right back on the QS and just try and like get back to where I wanted to be and not have processed all the emotions and everything that happened with being on tour for three years, falling off. And especially the way everything happened, I feel like it hit me hard. And for me to be able to take a year off, really assess everything, and not really have like this time limit of like, or feel rushed in a way, like I got to get back on tour the next year. I kind of just had this whole year to just figure out everything. I guess what you don't realize when you're on the road for so long, is just like, you've had no time to work on yourself and your life outside of surfing. And I feel like all of that stuff kind of ties into you as a person. COVID just gave me that time to kind of figure myself out. Where am I? Where's my life at? I've been going full throttle since, you know, I got on the QS to try to get on tour to try and get results and perform. And, you know, I guess I just got time off and that that time off really served me well, I feel like. And I don't know, just things just started rolling in a good way. And I wasn't like trying so hard to make it happen. I just kind of took a step back and was just like, you know, I need to start enjoying everything a little more. I felt like being on tour, I was just so stressed out, Mm. just like trying to get results, trying to do all these things where I just didn't have a grip on anything. So that time off definitely gave me a chance to step back and work on myself personally. It's hard to, it's hard to almost, I've noticed just for athletes either in surfing or outside of surfing to voluntarily take the time off, you know, as you pointed out, like for you, it was the global pandemic forced you to do it. For other surfers, you can look at like a McFanning and his hamstring injury mm-hmm. or any kind of injury. 
it forces them to kind of pause, reevaluate, and then come back with a renewed focus. And I, I think it's one of those interesting things in surfing too. I remember talking to Ryan Callanan on this podcast and he said something that I've, I've used a few times, which it's surfing is so much fun that it becomes impossible to say no to it. Like no to another trip, no to another session, like no to another contest because it's so fun. But he's like, if you don't build in those breaks or you don't get breaks sort of built in for you, like it just wears on you. Is that something that you've experienced as well? For sure. I mean, it, it wears you down and as fun as it is, your body still needs rest. It's just, mm. it's just, it is what it is. You know, your body needs to recover one from the travel and then you're surfing at such a high level and you're on tour you're like every free surf, every practice, every heat, you're like piling out with the best surfers in the world. And you're like, I don't want to look bad or I don't want, you know, you're always pushing yourself. So every time you paddle out, it's almost like you're going as hard as you can. You got to take that step back or else eventually you're going to hit that wall. So, but it's hard, you know, it's so fun to do. And like I said, like if you're on a string of comps and you come home and the waves are firing, you're like, I'm not going to not go surf. And then you end right. up going surfing and it's fun surf for like six hours that day and you just beat and you wake up and if the waves are still like that you're going to do it again so it's hard to take that step back but you definitely need it in whatever way you can make it happen i i appreciate that admission of even someone like yourself doesn't want to look bad in front of other surfers but i'm gonna ask because i i don't but i do my best to stay away from all you guys and girls on tour and surf by myself I'm very aware of what I'm doing that makes me look bad. I've never seen really any of you guys or girls look bad, but in your head, like, what do you, what is it about your surfing where like, I don't want to do this is I, I'm, I'm very curious. Like, is it like, oh, my turn was weak or I mistimed that wave or I wasn't deep enough. What is it in your head where you're like, I don't want to look bad in front of my peers. I don't know. There's just this, always this weird energy. I don't like, obviously it's heightened when there's the mm. comps and everyone's there in the same place, but there's always that talk like, oh, that guy was ripping or, oh, did you see Griffin's wave? Or you've seen this guy's wave posted on Instagram. And it's just like, if you don't have something to combat that, you felt like, oh, I was bogging or you could have been right. ripping. But right. if you feel like you're not in the conversation or you're not relevant based on what everyone else is doing, like you feel like you're falling short in a way when really it doesn't matter. But like I said, when you're in that atmosphere, you're always competing whether you realize it or not, you're always kind of in that competition with either yourself, whether you're judging yourself based on what everyone else is doing or in an actual like battle with someone where you're like, I want to serve better than that guy. Every time I paddle out, it's right. just those little things that you don't realize. And I feel like being able to take a step back and look at it from a different perspective, not being totally in it and being off tour and being about all set home, not really doing anything, but I got to watch every event from my couch and I see what's going on on the internet. I see who's ripping. I see who's getting better and who's performing and who's underperforming. So it's just like, I was able to look back and go, wow, you know, there's a lot of things that you can change to kind of, I don't know whether it's to make yourself better or whatever, but to conserve that energy or maybe, you know, I'm wearing myself out before the contest because I'm competing in all these little aspects of my life or in my surfing before I even get to the actual competition. So like things like that, I was able to look at and go, wow, like you can change those things. And those are all things that are just kind of in your head. 
Right. So for you, it's it's less a concern of like, oh, the world's best surfers are getting together and saying that like, you know, I'm not opening my hand enough on my rebound or something like that, but more about I wasn't mentioned in the conversation of like, I got this wave or I did this turn or I was ripping or my, whatever it is. It's just, it's a fear of not being mentioned and considered as part of like the elite of the elite for you. Kind of. Yeah, mm. that's for sure. And I feel that I feel it the most on the North Shore. I don't know if it's because I'm from Hawaii and I feel like this is my backyard. You know, I got to, I got to, I got to be performing. You know, this is where my bread and butter is. I got to defend home turf, but it definitely has a play on your head. But I don't know if it was just because of the place I was back then when I was feeling it. So this is kind of like the first year I'm kind of coming into the winter with a total different perspective. You know, this is just what I was feeling, you know, in the years previous. That's interesting. And I was going to touch on this later, but you brought it up. So I think it's the right time to talk about it because you you have been in the limelight for so, so long, like since you were a little amateur superstar. And there was a significant amount of hype when you came on tour, as there are for a lot of kind of really talented surfers. Um, and then you had a, a three years on tour and then fell off and now you're coming back on. And it it did remind me of, you know, Andy qualifying very young and falling off mm-hmm. and really not becoming the Andy that everyone remembers until he came back, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if you felt like there was too much pressure on you when you qualified for the first first few seasons. I don't think so. I don't mm-hmm. think it was like the pressure that got to me as like uh, other people were putting pressure on me. I felt like maybe I put the pressure on myself with expectation and expecting to do certain things or wanting to come out on my first year and perform a certain way. But I don't feel like it was more so the pressure. I honestly just feel like I had a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. I, th- I maybe have thought I was on a certain level until I got there and I was like, I'm nowhere near this level. Right. I was surfing the years previous in contests and whatever, totally blind and totally just going out there and just surfing to whatever I knew. And not actually breaking things down and figuring out what little things I can make better or how to change my mindset to compete or all these things. But there's just no way you can even understand that without being on tour and being in that environment. Right. I mean, because I'm sure that the surfer you were when you qualified for the 2017 championship tour season and the surfer you are four years later, for you probably is pretty different you've probably done a ton of work and you've you've improved in so many areas i think just observingly like of course and again we'll get to the your snap for a segment which is sort of um jaw dropping but I, I do think when you did qualify like power surfing was kind of receiving a renaissance through the likes of guys like john and there was a void that people were looking for you to fill and you were on paper maybe pound for pound strongest guy on tour, you know, one of the bigger guys on tour, um, good, good, good on rail, had the, had the progressive game down, good in the barrel. And I think all those things maybe from the outside created a picture of someone who's like, this is our next Sonny Garcia. You know, this is someone who is going to be in here challenging for world titles for the next decade. Mm-hmm. Did you have any self-awareness of that around you? And And did you, I guess another question is, is it unfair for people to think just because you have all the physical gifts that that means it's going to translate to championship tour wins? I don't think it's unfair. I think Mm. it's fair for people to think that and expect those things just based on appearance and, and 
how things look from the outside, that's totally fair. I mean, that's how people pick winners, you know? That's just how sure. people, you know, break it down in their own terms. I don't think it's unfair, but I do think it, for myself, it gives me expectation. You know, I hear what people are saying, so then I expect myself to go out there and do that based on what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And now that you bring it up, I guess I did have some pressure on my shoulders, you know, with that label of being the next Sonny Garcia, that's huge for me. Of course. I mean, the first surf video I've ever watched was, you know, Sunny Days, which was Sonny's documentary surf video. He's pretty much the reason why I wanted to be a pro surfer. And he made it possible for some a regular kid from Hawaii like me to kind of go out there and uh, follow in his footsteps. So maybe there was a little bit more pressure there. But at the same time, I was so excited to be there. You know, I loved it. I didn't really care that there was pressure i felt like you know that's good it's good to have this pressure it's what's going to push you and there's no reason why you should shy away from it i feel like i'm fully capable i think what i didn't realize was how much i had to learn and i had to take a step back and realize you know there are things that i have to change and things i can do to get to that next level to be in the conversation with you know guys going for a world title right back to the point that you made about just managing your body and managing your energy and your focus You've already qualified for the 2022 championship tour. We're coming up on the final challenger event of the season. This is going to drop mid event. How much of your energy is being focused on winning the event at Haleiwa versus already preparing for the Billabong Pipeline Pro at the end of January? All my energy, all my focus is going into Haleiwa. I'm not even Mm -hmm. thinking about pipe. I haven't surfed pipe once since I've been home. I'm not worried about pipe at all. I... I'm solely worried about Haliba. Haliba is somewhere that I've always just wanted to do good at. I've gotten third there once, but I just always feel like I fall short there for whatever reason. Being that it is the first event at home, I'm usually coming off of the QS and trying to requalify or qualify. And I've always been on the bubble. You know, I've always been one of those guys that have to do well in Hawaii to qualify. So Haliba being the first event, I've always felt a lot of pressure going into that event. One, I love the wave, and I think that, you know, it's a wave that suits my style of surfing, and I should do good. But also, there's a lot of pressure with having to have, having to get a result there. So, I think this is the first year I'm kind of able to come into it and just solely focus on my performance and my surfing, and not worry about anything else. That makes sense. And you know, the the local advantage in surfing is is kind of hit and miss. You know, I mean, Jeremy. Flores for years struggled at home in Hasegor before he finally won. And, and mm-hmm. he kind of attested that largely to like, look, I, the entire country, if not continent, is expecting me to do well. Like, that's a lot, you know. And Michelle Berez in, in Chopu as well, like amazing Chopu surfer, hasn't really had the result or a win there that, that sort of matches it. And, and same deal. He says, look, it's, it's a lot. Like, I'm the sole Tahitian on tour and everyone wants me to do well. And there are advantages to sleeping in your own bed and to surfing a wave you're so familiar with, but they're also tempered with that communal expectation. And is that something that you also feel from the Hawaiian community? Because I know how incredibly supportive they are of their surfers, but that support can also sometimes spin into like, oh, that's a lot of pressure. For sure. 100%. And you feel it. You know, everyone wants you to do good. You know, you're going to go practice or you're surfing or you're at the supermarket and guys are like, come on, bro, we're rooting for you. And that's, that's just straight pressure immediately. You're like, now I got to do good because that guy just told me I have to 
or else he's going to be let They're down. Eyeballing what's in your cart. They're like, no, no, no. Like you can't <laughs> have that. Like no pokey and beer. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, you got beer in your cart. You're like, oh, don't look <laughs> it's, at you it's, know, what it's I It's not have, for me. You know? It's for the house. It's fine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's going to think I'm slacking or something, but it's hard. I mean, look at John, John, he is 100% the best pipeline surfer ever. And to see how long it took him to actually win that contest is a testament to that exact thing. Like, you know, that pressure, it, no matter how you feel about it or how you try and think about it, it's there. So it's just how you deal with that pressure. And I remember watching the Pipe Masters last year or this earlier this year and just going, wow, he actually did it. That's insane to watch him work that hard to just to just uh, achieve that one goal and to finally see him get it. It was pretty sick. I mean, it took a while, but everyone knew it was going to happen. That. I mean, that's still a big call, like the best pipeline surfer ever. I'm not I'm not challenging the call, but you know, last year when we were in Hawaii for the pipe event, I got stuck in the uh the contact tracing house. I did not test positive for COVID, but I had to stay in that house for twelve <laughs> days. Unfortunately, we were in this uh-huh. great location. So I just sat. I've never watched pipeline so much in my life. Okay, eight hours a day basically when it was pumping and um Man, I, I saw you get a ton of waves. You definitely stand out. But what about John, in your opinion, you know, backs up that claim that he's the best pipeline surfer ever? What, what for you is another kind of elite surfer at that venue? I mean, obviously, Kelly is obviously another one of the greats out there. I mean, he's had so much success there. And then there's Jamie, you know, someone that just has made a career out of surfing pipeline. But just the things that John does out there on days that are so... You can look at a day at pipe and just it's chunky, it's ugly. Jamie and them aren't out there. Kelly's not really out there. No one's really out there. But then next thing you know, you see a clip that he's on this like 12-foot onshore dredger thing that just like was probably the scariest wave ever. And he's riding probably his shortboard. And he's just standing in it like, like it's nothing. You know, just his ease and his approach to the wave is so just like nonchalant and He'll come in and do a post-heat interview and say, oh, my God, it was so scary and all this stuff. And it's not true. Like, he's like he's having so much fun out there. There's no way he could be scared. He, <laughs> like, has that wave down to a T. Like, he's riding smaller boards than anyone's ever ridden out there. Like, everything he does is, like, at the pinnacle of the highest level that you could surf that wave. And just the way he reads it, the waves he gets – you know, I never, you never see John John taking a bad wipeout at pipe. Just every time he takes off, he's getting blown out into the channel. It's, it's pretty insane. And I've watched him surf that wave my whole life. So, I mean, maybe I'm seeing, I'm too close to it and I don't see anyone else, but to me, he's the best pipe surfer I've ever seen. Well, I, I think it's because you're so close to that wave. And again, like one of the standouts, if not the standout, at least in my I don't know, like 314 hours of observation (laughs) last year, just through the (laughs) binoculars being like, all right. I think that's why it's important. Like, and I, I I love the read on that, but, uh, we're going to, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to wind the clock back and uh, find out where you came from, man. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so we talked about uh, yesterday. Happy belated birthday! You you just turned twenty eight. You're still a very young man, but you were you were born in Honolulu, is that right? Yes, I'm born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. And and you live there still, right? And I live here still. Town boy. And I've always said it's going to be pretty hard for me to live anywhere else. But yeah, I'm from town. I'm not from the North Shore. A lot of people think I'm from the North Shore, but uh, I just spent a lot of time out there. But I grew up and I've been raised in the heart of Honolulu and you know I love it I think that's actually as far as surfing goes it's probably like a huge compliment that you've made such an impact on the north shore that the average civilian's like oh yeah he like lives on the beach at pipe or sunset or wherever (laughs) yeah for sure I take it as a compliment yeah totally and what was what was it what was your family like growing up what did mom and dad do did they surf how'd you get into it uh yeah I had a very different upbringing from the average surfer from Hawaii I feel like uh I grew up in town. My Both my parents were together from high school. You know, they were both high school sweethearts, but they're both uh, land athletes. So my mom played uh, like volleyball and softball, and my dad was a football player in high school. And they both went to the University of Hawaii and pursued sports as well. And, you know, they had me when they were in college. And just so happened, a group of my dad's football buddies were into surfing when they had me. And next thing I know, I was growing up at the beach and going surfing with them. And I just naturally had a love for the ocean and my dad kind of shared that same love when they had me. So it kind of was just like our bond, you know, that's something me and my dad did just with each other and it just grew into something way more. I love it. What'd your dad play in high school? What, what position? Uh, he was a wide receiver. 
Okay. All right. Right. What? And college, actually. Oh, for the, he played wide receiver for University of Hawaii. Yes, he did. That's awesome. What about you? Did you? Did you? Did Dad get you to play at all? I actually, he was like, "No, you're not playing football." At the time, I was just like, in high school, all my friends in high school. I went to Kamehameha Schools, which is actually a school for uh, kids of Hawaiian ancestry. So you have to be Hawaiian to go to the school, mm-hmm. which is really cool. But um, I went to school, and all my friends were playing football. You know, that was everything. Surfing was like whatever, you know, you surfed for fun, but football was like where it was at and everyone's trying to make it and go to college and get a scholarship, you know, it was huge. And I was like, dad, I don't want to play. And he was like, no, you're not. Don't play football. Trust me. You're just going to get hurt. It's hard work. You don't understand. And I was just like, yeah, but everyone's doing it. I want to do it. So I ended up not actually playing football, but I told my dad, I was like, if I ever play football, I'm going to play wide receiver and my number is going to be 86 because I'm going to be one better than you. Was he <laughs> was 85. I never, because he was 85. Yeah, but yeah. I never ended up playing football. So if you're wondering why my number is 86 on tour, that's why. That's a good story, man. See, I would, <laughs> I would, I mean, you're what? You're 6'2, over 200, right? What are, what are you weighing right now? I'm 6'1, 190 right now. So, that's it. I cut a little weight from when, I, from when I first was on tour. So. I was going to say, I'm like, well, he's like this defensive back stat. You'd be a good like corner or strong safety or something. But now you, you, you get you get ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like I wasn't fast enough, but it would have been fun. Interesting, interesting. And and you mentioned the Kamehameha School, which is a, is a as you pointed out, a school for kids that have native Hawaiian ancestry. I think um, mm-hmm. Kaipo Guerrero also went there. Yes, can can you explain a little bit for our listeners what that means to have native uh-huh. Hawaiian ancestry? Um, it just means that you can trace your family lineage all the way back to, you know, King Kamehameha and all those. Um, your family tree will go all the way back. And that's really rare right now because there's not as much full-blooded Hawaiians, which are the Polynesians that came over from Tahiti and, and started life here in Hawaii and they're voyagers and they're able to find this beautiful place and start this beautiful life that I'm fortunate to live now in a, you know, such a beautiful place. But yeah, it's just, you know, you're, I was born and raised here. My family has been here for generations and generations. And when the missionaries came over, there's actually an overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom and, or the queen at the time was Queen Liliokalani. And um, basically Bernice Pauai Bishop, was left a lot of land and um, a lot of inheritance. So what she did was in her will, she made sure it was passed down to the kids of Hawaii. And she started this school that would uh, be only for kids of Hawaiian ancestry because it was hard for the Hawaiian kids to get education back then because the missionaries basically came over and just took everything over and everything was westernized. So um, they weren't teaching Hawaiian language. They weren't teaching the Hawaiian culture. They were really changing everything. So she wanted something here for the Hawaiian kids to be able to perpetuate their culture. And that's why uh, Kamehameha Schools exists now. And it's for kids of Hawaiian ancestry to pretty much keep Hawaiian culture alive. That That's super cool about the Kamehameha Schools. And was, you know, experiencing Native Hawaiian culture something that happened with your mom and dad at home outside of school as well? And, and something that was pretty regular for you guys? Yeah, it kind of was. You know, I, I grew up in it. We actually, so I lived and I grew up on the campus of Kamehameha Schools. My mom oh, wow. was a, she actually was an employee of Kamehameha. Uh, her job was actually a dorm advisor 
for the kids that lived off island, say on like Kauai or uh, Maui or the big island that wanted to attend Kamehameha schools, they provided like a dormitory or boarding, they called it, for the kids to come stay there so they could attend the school. And my mom was pretty much like uh, would take care and help run the dorm and take care of the kids that would uh, fly over from the other islands to go to Kamehameha. So we actually lived there. So they provided housing for us. And I grew up on campus at Kamehameha School, so I was pretty much uh, immersed in it. And as you said, too, that that might be one of the more unique or certainly like departed development sort of environments for a professional surfer. You know, there's not many people that that grew up to do what you did from from similar situations. And when you were getting into surfing, you told that great story about, you know, your dad's friends on the football team were getting into it at the same time, which is why you know your family kind of shared this love of surfing. How did you get so good when you were so young? Because I, I definitely remember being aware of like, there's this kid, he's got a shaved head, he rides for Volcom, he's like the next truth, basically. And I remember seeing the videos <laughs> and even coming down and watching you surf at lowers and stuff, and you're like, yeah, there's that kid, there's that kid again, geez. What were the steps for you between just learning how to surf and then also mm-hmm. thinking like, I'm going to, I'm going to compete. Um, was that something that your parents really encouraged because of their competitive background? I'm curious as to how you, you developed into that person. Um, yeah, I think there's actually a lot of layers, but first off, I just loved it. It was so natural. I just like was begging to go to the beach for my dad to take me surfing. And when I was at a young age, the athlete being the athlete that my dad is he was just like wow they have this little contest called the tnc surf contest and they have like a toddler like division and i can push you in the waves and we can compete so he was like you're good enough for doing it and that's pretty much what broke the mold and got me to you know want to do surf contests and compete and this is something that you know i like doing i also played soccer i also played baseball i also played basketball in little leagues but I didn't have the same connection to those sports as I did with surfing so it was definitely something I was like I want to do this this is way more fun but it's kind of along the same lines of everything else that we do and I think my dad also saw that so he just kept entering me into contests and he found out like he pretty much had to learn everything about the industry from zero you know just by meeting people creating relationships Luckily, at a very young age, we were able to meet, you know, really good people to point us in the right direction. And one of those guys was uh, Dave Riddle. Mm. So my dad met him at a surf contest and he was just like, dude, we can get your kids sponsored. We can get the events paid for and we can travel and go to nationals, all these things. And, you know, my dad, that was just everything. And my dad was like, okay, let's do it. You know, this is, this is really fun. It's something new. It's competitive and athletic. But as, at the same time for my dad, I think it was something totally outside the box for him. And I think that he really loved that. And for me to, me and him to have that thing that just me and him bond over was really special. And, you know, it was, that kind of just sparked it. And him being an athlete, he kind of just was always pushing me. And I feel like that's kind of what made me progress faster. He was always pushing me. He was doing, you know, research and like watching videos of John John or like finding videos of Kolohe. I remember him showing me videos of Kolohe when I was really young. And it was like, you know, this is the kid right here. This is the guy. He's like the next big thing. You know, watch videos of him. Try to see if you think you can beat him or blah, blah, blah. I remember specifically Kalohe was like a big one. And then finally going over to California for open mini grams nationals first time. I just remember being so nervous and freaked out. I was like, wow, all these kids are going to be there. And I've been watching them 
this whole time I've been home and now I have to compete against them. But that's kind of how it was. And it just kind of just took off really quickly and naturally. And, you know, there's no negativity for me towards it because I just loved it so much. And I think that's why it just clicked pretty early. It, it's interesting. This has been coming up a lot on the podcast lately, which is that, you know, we speak to so many elite level surfers, men and women, and they kind of fall into two broad camps of like on the one side, there's the sort of dynastic professional surfer where it's like my dad was on tour and my grandfather built boards and I've been in magazines since I was six and like, and, and, you know, had all the advantages living up in the beach, et cetera. And then in the other camp are, are people who maybe didn't live on the beach. Maybe they're the first people in their family to surf. It wasn't as readily accessible as sort of the, the first camp. And, but as a result, they kind of have this like fire and appreciation because they had to work harder to get it. Is it fair mm -hmm. to say that you're kind of in that camp? Because you would have been competing against people who, who probably to you did grow up at the beach or did grow up in a Jersey. And, and did, did that ever kind of play on you when you, you were competing at a young age? I for sure fell into that camp of people. You know, I was, I didn't come from a surf family. You know, my family was, had nothing to do with the surf industry. So we we're totally outsiders, but at the same time, I felt like we we're accepted really quickly and I was able to build relationships within the industry so fast. And I never really felt like outcasted in a way, but I definitely felt like I had ground to make up. You know, I mm -hmm. felt like a lot of guys were put on to whether it was opportunities or experiences way quicker than I was. So, you know, every opportunity or experience that I did get, I knew I had to really, you know, make it count. But for the most part, I feel like that sparked, maybe sparked my interest even more. You know, I had to go out and get it. It wasn't just something that was coming to me, you know. I had to go out there and chase it. If I wanted it, I had to make it happen. It wasn't like I couldn't just sit on my butt and wait around for it to come, you know. And, you know, I think that really drove me competitively. But at the same time, I was brought up in such a different setting, playing land sports and doing all these other things that I was able to draw from and put towards something that I loved, which was the surfing. It was almost like I was always in a training camp and then surfing was like the release. Mm. So for me, it was just like, I was able to use my experiences of growing up more so outside the surf industry to kind of have a different approach when I was surfing or I was competing or whatever it may be. You know, my mind was different. I thought about everything differently. And I think that helped me. Yeah, I mean, I would say for sure. You know, like you have a you have such an intentional point of difference. When you were coming up a, as a youngster, though, you were part of a pretty well established like collective of young um, surfers from Hawaii, you, boys and girls. Can you tell us about some of your your contemporaries when you were coming up in the NSSAs from Hawaii? Yeah, I feel like doing the NSSAs when we were growing up was maybe because I was just a kid and I was in it, but I thought it was gnarly, and I thought like. <laughs> These national competitions were huge and like everything was on the line, like in relate in relation to like the CT. Like I felt like nationals and NSSA back then for a little kid was as if you were competing on tour. It was the best kids and the kids that did good at nationals and everything went on to make the tour and do huge things. But especially like the class that I grew up with, I felt like had crazy talent. Like if you look back on it, you have the John Johns, you have Kolohe, you have like Andrew Doheny was huge back then mm -hmm. when I was growing up, Keanu Singh. And then you had some underground guys like guys like Matty Costa I grew up with, Kaimana Haikias, you know, 
son of Kaipo Haikis, who's a legend, mm. you know, all these guys, I felt like the class of surfers that I grew up with when I was young was gnarly. And it kind of really, I felt like that's why everyone was so good back then. Everyone was just pushing each other so much. And we're always like in that competitive atmosphere with each other. And that's why I created so many good surfers, I feel like. And yeah, there's a lot of guys from Hawaii. I actually remember Kolohe would come over and do the NSSAs in Hawaii because he knew that the caliber of surfers in our region were the highest rather than him staying in California or North America and doing those events. He would fly to Hawaii for every event just so he could compete against us. And that's when I knew I was like, we have the best surfers in the nation in Hawaii right now. You know, you're not wrong to say that like winning and competing at the NSSA was the most important thing because that was the pool where people were identifying future world champions. But you become the big fish in that pond, the biggest fish in that pond sometimes. And then you got to go to an even bigger pond where it's the pro juniors or you go to an even bigger pond after that, which Mm -hmm. is qualifying series. And every one of those levels you kind of go from the very top of 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 your class to like oh now i'm at the bottom and i have to kind of relearn everything is that how you experienced it going from from level to level yeah for sure and i felt like i remember going to the nationals and showing up and like dane reynolds is pounding up for his heat and back then i remember hearing like dane reynolds signed this big contract he's about to go pro you know all these things clay marzo putting on huge performances, winning cars, signing big contracts after that. This was the path. So it was just like, you know, I'm working as a little kid. I'm 10 years old, but I know I'm working. I was like, I'm going to be one of those guys one day. And that's the path I'm going to take. And eventually I'm going to be there. I'm going to be signing the big contract. I'm going to get on the QS. I'm going to make the tour. It was just a full, the plan was set. And it was just whether you were able to achieve your goals within the NSSAs and then go to each tier of competition and just work your way up but it's crazy like you said like you're a big fish in a small pond so it's almost like you achieve that and you you conquer the whole nssa thing and you win your national title then you're you get spit out as a little kid and you get spit out into the qs where there's grown men there that have been there for years and then they've been competing and they know and they have so much more experience than you do but you're still coming out of the NSAs, NSSAs thinking, I'm the guy. I'm about to come on here and I'm going to smoke these guys that can't get off the QS. They have no idea. And you get there and you realize, I am a Grom. I'm getting smoked by grown men. I need to figure this out. And I feel like that was a big learning curve for a lot of the guys that found success, you know, in the amateurs here in America to go out on the QS and figure it out. I mean, guys would straight disappear. They would come off of winning national titles like, Guys are winning like nine national titles and then going on the QS and then they can't make a heat. It's just like, it was crazy. You know, you never would have thought that that would happen, but you know, it's a big learning curve going from the amateurs to the pros. But, you know, I did feel like back then the NSSA was producing some of the best surfers in the world at that point. It was just, you know, but in saying that you did, you didn't see the Medinas, you didn't see the Philippe's, but they were there. They're all doing the same things. It's just that they weren't in your pond, you know? So You'd go out to the QS and then you'd see those guys and it's a whole new crop of guys that you have to, you know, get used to seeing. And it sounds like I love the way you articulated that. And it and I my understanding is that's always been the case because surfing's always progressing. And then as we pointed out, like generationally, you'll get a hot group of kids who are surfing at such an elite level, but also adding like 
an extra dimension to their elite level surfing that maybe the generation before them didn't have. So everyone gets excited about it. Everyone hypes them up. You guys hop up to the next level and either that extra dimension isn't being rewarded by the judges yet, or that extra dimension maybe isn't as flash as we all thought it was. Whatever the case is, you're coming up against battle-hardened men um, and women at that level who are like, I, I don't care if you got a magazine cover or not. Like, I'm putting food on the fam yeah. on the table for my family. I'm winning this heat, kind of thing. Exactly, and it's like guys like you've never heard of, and you're like, who the heck is that guy? That guy just dropped like two eights on me in five minutes. Like, I have no <laughs> idea what's going on right now. I thought I was the guy, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just funny how you just have to figure it out and there's no other way to figure it out besides experiencing it. So it's cool. You mentioned, um, Dave Riddle being, um, sort of a mentor and a consigliere for you, um, throughout your, your, your amateur mm -hmm. career and your, your young professional career. And as I mentioned, you were so associated, uh, with Volcom, like up through, through your rise. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm getting a little fuzzy on the, the timeline, but obviously you ride for Quicksilver now and you're one of their primary riders, yeah. but that all happened kind of right around when you qualified the first time. Is that right? um kind of around the same time yeah it was mm -hmm. a few years but dave riddle is pretty much the reason why i'm so successful in my career he taught me everything i needed to know about surfing at a high level the industry competing and just everything you know and he was he was annie and bruce's coach you know growing up so for me he was just he had the blueprint and anything he said i listened he could have told me paddle out there in a speedo and I would have did it, you know. So it didn't really matter. But he was the mayor of the North Shore to me, and he just taught me everything, you know. All my success in my career, I owe it to him. But I feel like I found a lot of success at one point, and you know, when you're young, things get things start moving fast, and it's just hard to you know get a grip on everything. And I feel like when I was in the situation of leaving Volcom, I really was naive or just like had nothing. I didn't know much about the industry. You know, I just, I surfed, I competed and that was it. I thought if you did good sponsored paid sponsors paid you to keep doing good. And that's all that mattered. And then I had to learn that it's about board short sales. <laughs> and I had no idea. I was just like, you know, these companies sell board shirts and that's why they sponsor you. And just the industry, there's so much more going on in the industry that, you know, that, meets the eye, but I just have to learn so much. It's interesting too, because when you kind of compare it to other sports, it's hard, right? Where like, especially team sports, where if it's the NBA or the NFL and people are trading teams, it's like this person's going from the Chargers to the Packers or whatever it is. It's a little bit more merit-based, objective, transactional, but as you pointed out, like in, in surfing, it's, it's largely opaque. Um, in terms of what they value and what don't they value. And the sports change so much. There's not really a center of gravity to be like, that person did X, Y, and Z, therefore they're worth this and we're going to keep them on the team. Or we're going to trade them to another team because they're worth that much. Yeah. It's a little wild west, right, in terms of how they're making those decisions. Mm -hmm. But from the outside, people are like, like myself, are like, well, Zeke is Volcom. Like, they, they really need him. And when you get weren't on that program, I think you're writing sticker lists for a little bit. It was like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe this talent's out there. And then and then Quicksilver comes and picks you up and you become like a mm -hmm. pillar of their program. Is that is mm -hmm. that a fair assessment of how it works on the inside? Exactly. That's pretty much how it works. But you know, 
it's just all your perception of like what's going on. You know, I felt like I had that view, like you're saying, like like a basketball or or a football with like these big NFL, like the organizations, like it's all based off merit and how good you do and stats. And it's a clear line, you know, where surfing, it's not as clear. You know, you got these companies that are the industry, but at the end of the day, they're a company that's selling clothes. They're selling a product and it's board charts and they use these athletes to sell those, those products. Hmm. But at the same time you have that and then you have the tour and then you have, you know, contest surfers and this and that. And at the time when I'm growing up, I'm a young kid and I don't really understand the whole concept. You know, I just thought paddle out, put the jersey on, paddle out, rip, get results, win contests. The companies will pay you and they're going to take care of you because that's what you get paid to do. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So the whole Volcom thing kind of, you know, woke me up to the fact like I need a, this is a whole nother aspect of my career that I need to learn about and I have to you know understand what's happening and so it was unfortunate that you know I ended up leaving Volcom at the time but to be honest I wouldn't change any of it because I've learned so much and I feel like without that step I wouldn't be where I am right now so I was actually stickerless for about six months and kind of running low on money and I was trying to qualify and I was putting everything into surfing contests and trying to get on tour and at the same time, trying to find some support and sponsorship, but with a new understanding. So when Quicksilver approached me, I had a total different outlook on, you know, what my job was with them and what I wanted to do and achieve my goals. And to be honest, Quicksilver for me was a perfect match. And they kind of, we just clicked really easily. And they kind of, I felt like they got behind my goals really fast and supported me into where I wanted to get to. And that's all I needed to feel at that time. And I was really stoked on that. And I was able to kind of build relationships within the company and kind of restart everything and build back up. And I feel like, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I love where I am and I love what they've done for me and I appreciate everything. And it's just, you know, I'm in a state right now where I'm just really grateful to still be doing this, you know. It's interesting, too, because it, it does feel like the entire surfing world went through a period of destabilization, which which I think mm-hmm. kind of tracks with your experience, too, where people are kind of like, well, you know, surfing's supposed to be progressive and nonconformist, so I don't know about contests, and we don't know, like, social media's yeah. hitting, and the magazines are all folding. We don't know where the center of gravity is anymore. Like, the entire surfing world's kind of saying that. And you kind of flash forward to now and, and ideally in a sort of post-COVID world and you're looking at stabilized, redesigned tours and competition framework where people are expecting we need these people to perform on this elevated platform. If they do this, they get to hear. It's worth that much. And additionally, the media space in and around that stabilized too where surfers, and I think you, you've done this yourself, have almost taken control of the media, right? Because mm-hmm. the magazines all kind of folded. That was not reliable anymore. And you guys are saying, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to put my own content out. And that kind of creates mm-hmm. a, a higher floor for me in terms of value to my, 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 my supporters. For sure. And I felt like that shift was pretty crazy because the magazines were everything, you yeah. know? If you weren't doing contests, it was just like, you need to go link up with this photographer or go do this or do that so you can get your shots. You know, you need a shots in the magazine. You need to try and like put yourself out there so that you can be seen, so you can be relevant to be in the mix of what's going on. So it was a pretty crazy shift, but I felt like that shift kind of 
benefited a lot of the surfers to where, you know, they had the control. They could have this platform with social media to put out, put out their own content, create their own brand. And it kind of, I felt like it helped the industry out to where it made things a little more clear cut to where the surfers would create this brand and then these surf companies would come in and, and back these specific athletes based on, you know, what their brand was. And it kind of gave a little bit more of a blueprint to where before it was just like, I got to go out there. I got to charge. I got to get a sick shot and hopefully someone will see it and then I'll get some support. Right. Right. That makes a ton of sense. And I think like you're one of sort of the positive proof points of someone who has grown and evolved and understands like where you can put your energy and takes advantage of those opportunities. And maybe that was no more apparent than, hey, like COVID is shutting the world down and I'm on this show, The Ultimate Surfer, and I'm going to take advantage of that. And you did, like, you know what I mean? Where it's like <laughs> the entire world wasn't able to do anything. A few of us got locked up in Central California for six weeks. Um, I was only two weeks, but y- you know what I mean? Where it's like, great, okay, cool. Like if there's no qualifying path this year, I'm going to I'm gonna take the path that's in front of me. What was your thought process in even applying to, to, to be on the show? It was pretty crazy. And I'm like, was thinking nothing along the lines of it. I remember falling off tour, got actually got injured that same winter, hurt my knee. And I was just like, oh, here we go. Just a downward spiral. Like, what am I doing? And then kind of snapped out of it. I was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to go back on the QS. Let's do it. We're going to hammer it out. I'm going to get back on tour next year, blah, blah, blah. I remember Chad Wells hitting me up, the Quicksilver team manager at the time. And he was like, hey, I'm going to send you an email. It's for uh, the Ultimate Surfer reality show. I don't know if you're into it, but check it out. I think you should at least apply for the casting. So I was like, all right. I look at it and I'm like, dude, I'm not going on reality TV. That's that's crazy. I don't belong on reality TV. That's not me. Like I show up, I compete, and that's it. My fiance or my girlfriend at the time was looking at it and she was like, you should do it. Why not? Why wouldn't you do it? It's, and I was like, yeah, but I'm going to be, I'm trying to qualify. You know, I'm like, I need to be at contests and getting results and getting back on tour. Like this is just going to get in the way. And she was like, this is, looks like a huge opportunity. The quick server guys sent you this because they feel like this will be good for you. You should at least just do the casting. And I was just like kind of torn each way, but I was like, whatever. I'll do everything. If I get accepted, I'll do it and I'll figure it out. So I kind of just was like, like you said, it was an opportunity that I was just like, I should just be open to it at the very least. So I did it. I'm actually on my way to go to Australia to compete. And I get a call to stop in California to do the the final casting. And I was like, okay, I mean, that's one step closer. Like, do I really want to do this? Because I could just skip that and go straight to Oz and get ready for these comps. And um I decided I'll just go over there and do it and I'll see what happens. A couple of guys actually um, from Hawaii were also going. So I was like, oh, they're going. I'll go do it too. So we're going to the casting. It was pretty wild. I remember being, uh, it was almost intimidating a little bit, but it was actually pretty cool. I was like, oh, this seems legit. Like this seems like a big production. Like this is not a joke. And then you kind of look at it and go, oh, I mean, a hundred grand through ball card spots in the CT. This is something that, this is the opportunity of a lifetime that could possibly get me back on tour quicker or just have a backup plan at least to get back on tour quicker. I was like, if I get picked, then we'll figure it out. But I feel like it was worth it. And a couple months later, you get a call that you get been accepted and you're about to be a reality 
TV starring, you're just like, what did I just do to myself? Is this a good call or, or what? You know, this, I feel like uh, this is a sketchy one because surfing is one of those things where it's the core surf culture. This is a big no-no. Mm. This is like you're selling out. You're about to go corporate or whatever. You know, you're just like, this is a big no-no. And I was like, this is a huge risk, but there's also a huge reward here. So if I'm going to do it, I got to give it everything I got. And there's no turning back. If I'm going to go to do this show, it's going to be to go over there and win. And there's nothing else to it. So that was my approach going into it. But it was a wild experience for sure. <laughs> I remember the because the, I was involved in the casting conversation. The casting. I saw you at the thing. But I, they had approached me a few weeks before and they're like, oh, we need you to grade the surfing of all these applicants and i'm like well, how many okay. are there they go 700 and i go 700 oh my God. and i'm like well, what do you mean they're like they sent through like videos and photos and i'm like okay well how do you want me to grade them they're like just make it up and i'm like what like so i said okay well i'll just do the school i'll do a b c d and it's like a is oh, ct yeah. level talent b is sort of qs level talent c is like you could compete okay. but you probably get blown out in round one of the qs and then d is below that and my only lens from for my role was like, well, whoever wins, I wouldn't want them to be total cannon fodder for the alpha, you know, predators on the CT, you know. Um, <laughs> and when I went through, I was like, oh my god, like look at all these people that applied, like no way, like like Zeke Lau and Keanu Osing and all these people, and I'm like, holy shit, like we're gonna have so many A's. This is great. And I was actually pretty stoked with the surfing talent of the cast. Um, yeah, I didn't get mm -hmm. all my picks, but most of them were in there and. I thought, well, look, whoever wins is going to be pretty legit. When you got there and saw the cast, did anyone make you nervous on, on the men's side of like, oh, maybe this person's going to give me a hard time here? Or were you just like, I know myself, I know my talents, I know I'm the best surfer here, I'm going to win? Pretty much for me, at first glance, Kai, Barger, and Koa, Koa Smith kind of, I was like, okay, I think those are going to be the two guys that are going to give me the most problems surfing wise. And that's pretty much me because I've competed against Koa and Kai and I've seen what they can do. So sure, that's all I pretty much had to go off of everyone else. Like, or, and Luke, um, Luke Davis as well. Mm -hmm. I've competed growing up competing against him, but everyone else I pretty much I'd met for the first time and right. or I knew Ale a little bit, but not really, but everyone was pretty much new faces for me. For me, I knew I just had to compete against myself because I was going into something that was totally brand new for me. Just being on camera that much and competing in that atmosphere, you know, super different. I knew it was it was going to be. And I remember in the lead up before I was going over to actually do it, I was watching a bunch of reality shows and I was just getting so freaked out. I was just like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like I'm going to have I'm going to have to manage my emotions and how I'm, you know, how I'm handling myself so much like this is going to be gnarly and then you add surfing on top of it but i knew it was definitely some stiff competition and it wasn't going to be a walk in the park so right i mean i knew i had to show up did did anything change for you after the show aired and after it was revealed that you won the show did your social media blow up or you get noticed on the street did it did it change your life a whole lot or or maybe not at all um, no, I did. It definitely did. Um, I feel like it definitely changed where I seemed like I got a little more fan base, new people, 
were kind of noticing who I was here and there, but nothing crazy. You know, my social media didn't go up crazy. I probably got around 10,000 more followers, 10 to 20,000 more followers, but nothing really changed that much besides the fact that, you know, I learned a lot about myself and I was able to grow within the experience and, you know, I won some money and, and I got a chance to be back on tour. But as far as like, I mean, we we're on the show and we were, everyone was talking like this was going to be life changing for everyone. Everyone's going to leave the show and be straight up superstar celebs. You know, I thought like from what I was gathering, like it was going to blow up, but it didn't. I mean, it doesn't seem like anything's changed that drastically, but you know, it definitely seemed like it, it gained some traction and, and probably got a little broader of a fan base and it appealed to a lot a different crowd maybe. Totally. I think so for sure. And I think that that broader crowd is now tracking you guys and they'll turn up when you're on the championship tour next year. But as you kind of pointed out, you approached it as like by hook or by crook, I'm getting myself back to this level where I belong. And the ultimate surfer is an opportunity and the challenger series mm -hmm. is an opportunity and I'm, I'm going to do them both. And, and it was fun watching you compete. We got a, one more, a uh, couple more topics as well as listener questions, but we're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com code the lineup 1515 so i have mentioned this a couple times in this show already but um you know logan Dulian, who's a longtime friend of mine and um, has been on the pod and um myself is a longtime snap series fan I watched Snap 4 probably a couple weeks ago, right when it was coming out mm -hmm. or just before, and took some notes and sent them back to Logan. And one of my notes was uh, Ezekiel Lau seems like the most complete surfer in the entire thing. And I cannot, <laughs> I can't fault really like one thing about his surfing. And I don't need you that. to comment on that comment necessarily, but 
I always thought you were, as I said, I was part of the hype machine when you qualified back in 2017. And obviously, the as we talked about, the levels between who you are before you qualify and who you are when you're a rookie are so much different. And and I always use that example of, you know, the last ranked guy on the CT is probably better live surfing than anyone you'll ever see because they're just the speed and the rhythm and the power is just so elevated um, that even the broadcast doesn't quite do it justice. But I'm curious with regards to you, what has changed about your surfing between your rookie season and now, whether it's in the jersey or outside of the jersey? Well, I learned a lot about just form and flow. I feel mm. like uh, my surfing when I was young lacked a lot of flow where I'd have big moments on waves, but I wasn't able to just link everything together. So I feel like I, I really smoothed out a lot of things in between, in between turns or linking maneuvers together. And uh, that was my focus being on tour. I noticed guys were doing huge turns or big airs, but I was more interested in how they landed that maneuver and went straight into the next one with no adjustment, no nothing. They landed a full rotation air reverse or a full rotation um, alley-oop and then went straight into a turn like it was a normal maneuver. And I was blown away. I was like, guys are doing things that should be one maneuver waves and linking them three times in a row. And that's the level you need to be at. So I felt like my years on tour, I was really working on flow and just mm -hmm. being able to link things together. And I felt like that was the biggest uh, thing for me in uh, those years being on tour of what I learned. If all your talents and tools and aspects of your surfing were boiled down to, you know, uh, arrows in a quiver, what would be your your best arrow? Like, what is what do you think is your strongest, the strongest aspect of your surfing today? Today. It could be speed, it could be power, it could be rail game, it could be wave, reading wave conditions, it could be aerial surfing, barrels, it could be something I'm not even naming. What do you think that when you head into 2022, you go, this is, this is my, my haymaker, that this part of my surfing is, is where I'm most, where I'm strongest? Um, definitely power. Mm. Just me being able to push through a turn, throw more water. It's just so, it's natural for me. It's not something that I had to work at really it was just first of all it was like my favorite thing to do on a wave and then second of all it was just easier for me to kind of just load up and just bang a section as hard as I could and whenever I'm in trouble I usually end up say in competing aspects I end up going to, towards that mm. first so that kind of for me that's what is my strongest but at the same time if I'm assessing myself from outside perspective I feel like I have a lot of athleticism that I've found out how to use, which was in my aerial surfing. And I was able to figure that out in the last few years and make aerials a more consistent part of my repertoire. Right. We always talk about how important the relationship between, you know, a shaper and a surfer, especially at the elite level is. Um, mm -hmm. You're on Channel Islands for a number of years, but you made a change uh, recently and it it, mm -hmm. it seems like the the change has resulted in some some really really strong surfing from you as well. Can you talk to us a little bit, just as an elite level surfer, what goes into making a board builder change, and and what was what went into your decision, um, you moving to your current shaper? You know, a lot goes into equipment, and I feel like it's that's the main aspect for someone on tour. Equipment is everything. Um, that's what's going to allow you to do your best surfing, 
And, you know, being on tour, I realized that really quickly. So I really put a lot of effort and time into trying to get my equipment the best it could possibly be. And working with Channel Islands was great because they had so much resources and so many different people. It was a huge production of them just making surfboards. And I was just in awe of the whole thing. And I loved working with them. They taught me so much, you know, about just the manufacturing side and, and what goes into making boards and, and the business side as well. So they taught me pretty much everything. It was like I went to – it's basically I went to school with them about surfboards. And I was able to learn everything, whether it's just material, shape, designs, you know, all these little things that I wasn't really aware of before. So that was a big learning curve for me. And then making the transition to Tokoro was a very difficult one because I grew so much great relationships within the company at Channel Islands that it was just really hard for me to leave. But I felt like it was important. It was an important step for me to take in getting to where I wanted to get to, which was back on tour and hopefully get myself in title contention in the coming years. So it was really hard, but it all boiled down to being at home and being able to work on stuff easier. I'm working with Wade Takoro now, and he's literally a 20-minute drive from my house. So, you know, whenever I have ideas or things I want to break down, I'm there that day, and I can work on those things. And the process is is just a lot quicker. I found it very difficult in the past to work with Channel Islands just overseas, you know, you know, it takes so long. I got to go fly over there, drive two hours up, spend time with them. I loved it. You know, I love those people. But if I'm talking about, you know, time and, and, and where I'm, where I'm putting my time and efforts, you know, it was just, it was a lot more. So things kind of clicked with Wade really fast. And it seemed like it was the right decision at the time, but it was really hard. You know, I went through months and months of trying to make it work with Channel Islands, but really the COVID thing really made it hard. You know, Mm. I'd order boards. It'd take a couple more weeks than normal to get them. And I'm trying to make changes and adjust. It really felt like it was prolonging the process a lot more than I had to. And it was just, I had to just make a decision for, you know, what do I want right now? And where do I, where do I want to be? And what's my time frame here? So that kind of helped me make the decision and working with Wade. And I think it paid off, but it definitely wasn't easy. Yeah, of course. And I mean, even, even surfers that have sort of long-standing relationships with surfers, you see them shifting every now and then just to spice things up. Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, it was seems like a variety of factors of like, hey, at the end of the day, if I was leaning in this direction, COVID kind of expedited it because of just the mm-hmm. ease of communication um, in a lot of ways. Um, heading into 2022, I know that we're 100% focused on the event that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. What do you do between the end of Haleiwa and the start of Pipe? Do you decompress? Do you enjoy the holidays? Are you in the gym every day? Are you immediately switching all of your sessions on the North Shore from Haleiwa to Pipe? What is the process for you in terms of getting ready for 2022 Championship Tour? That's a good question. It's As surfers, it's really hard because, like I said, it's hard to take that time off, but you really do need it. Um, but for me, time off isn't necessarily, it's not doing nothing. For me, time off is just time away from surfing. But I'm always working on my body. I'm always making sure I'm in top shape and I'm not letting my body get too far off of, you know, from where I need to be to compete. But I'm going to be using this time to basically get stronger, work on my body where I feel like needs some strengthening. Maybe take some time off from surfing, take a step back, but 
I'm still working on my body. I'm still training. I'm still in the gym. But instead of surfing, maybe I'll use that time to kind of spend a little more time with my family and, and go do something else, have fun, maybe pick up a new hobby or something. But, you know, we only have a few months, so you really can't take that much time off. At this, In saying that, it's really hard because if pipe's firing, <laughs> I'm probably going to be out there. <laughs> well, you mentioned this earlier when you, you mentioned that you, you lean, you lean, you slim down a little bit from your original mm -hmm. rookie season when you're over 200 pounds and now you're at 190. Yeah. And that sounded intentional. What was the, the surfing benefit to that? Because we've seen that a lot actually in surfing. And I, I think of someone like Dusty Payne who, who really bulked up at one point and it, it looked like his surfing changed. Like he's still an incredible surfer, but it looked like there was just a cumbersome to it you know or um a stiffness to it because he just had more muscle that he was moving around mm -hmm. is slimming down does it make you faster does it make you a little more flexible or looser was that and was that intentional um it was definitely intentional and it's always intentional for me if i look the other way and i'm not conscious of it i'll gain weight pretty quickly i have this hobby of eating that i really love so i have to just manage that but uh yeah, it's definitely intentional. I just feel quicker, sharper, and I think my body operates better at a lighter weight, and I'm able to withstand through the year a little better. I felt like maybe with a little more weight, there's a lot more impact on whether it's my knees or ankles or my back. Um, I've grown up having some back issues, so that kind of keeps me sharp because I always got to stay on top of that and make sure you know I'm, I'm all good and you know I can surf on a daily basis, but. Definitely being lighter just keeps me sharper. You know, as you said too, like if you're spending so much time focusing on your equipment, a few pounds in either direction really makes a big difference when you're when you're kind of at that the tip of the spear in terms of elite equipment and elite surfing. Exactly. And so since and that's another factor too, actually. I found boards when I'm at a certain weight, these boards work the best for me. Mm. So then I try and stay around that weight so that these boards still work and work the way I want them to. I can feel when I'm a little overweight where it's five or 10 pounds, sometimes the boards don't float as much or, or they work a little differently. So it's good for me to stay in that, that same, you know, weight category. Right. 2017 to rookie season, third at Bells, mm -hmm. finished 29th. 2018, third at Rio, fifth at Bells. You love Bells. Finished 20th. 2019, there's a regression back to 28th. What's going to be What's the singular thing that's going to be different for you in 2022 to make sure that we're not regressing, but progressing to, as you put it, moving yourself into that top 10, top five into title contention this time around? Consistency. Consistency mm -hmm. is key in this game. If you're not able to do good in multiple events and string together a series of good events, then you will not be in the conversation at all. You may have certain places where you do good, but if you're not able to adjust to every condition and adjust to so many different types of styles of surfing and waves and become more well-rounded, you just will not be in the conversation of top 10 or top five. You know, it's just, you need to have consistency and be well-rounded to be able to compete on any day. And I don't think that's necessarily all ability and equipment. I just think it's mindset, you know, your approach, how you're coming into events, how you come off a win, how you come off of a loss, all those little things that, you know, if you're not in there experiencing, you don't really even know about. 
Um, I found that when I found success in an event, I usually tank the next event. I usually lose like first heat or I just have a total shocker. So just working on that, I feel like will be key for me. And if I'm able to, you know, string together series of events of doing good, that will make the difference for me. Love it. Well, before we go, we did, we did put questions out to the Instagram community and uh, we got a lot back. You're a popular dude. Uh, but we, we whittled them down to three. And the first question okay. is from at Andy Cashford, who asks, how has your experience in other sports as a kid impacted your career in pro surfing? I guess we talked about that a little bit, but maybe just more directly. Yeah. What do you, how do you think that's impacted your career in professional surfing? Um, I definitely just think it impacted my approach. My approach to surfing is competitive. You know, I am always competing against my peers and I'm always just trying to be the best at what I do. And also my preparation being in land sports and other sports, you go to practice, you plan, you make game plans to, so that you're ready for game day or, you know, you you're playing a certain team and they play like this. So you make a game plan to, you know, combat that. I feel like I have that approach in surfing where I think that's fairly new. I think guys are kind of doing that now, but it definitely wasn't, happening before i remember the main approach was just go out there and don't worry about the other competitor and just go surf and have fun and and if you're a good enough surfer it'll happen where you know i feel like my approach was more so like you can make things happen you can prepare so that you're ready for any situation i feel like land sports or doing other sports really uh, molded my mindset to just think that way the great answer second question is from at thomas.hearse who asks are you happier that you qualified for the CT on the Challenger Series over the Ultimate Surfer? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yes, I think so. I think I'm a lot happier. I think, or I guess I just was hearing a lot of talk about, you know, just maybe they're rumors, maybe they're not, but it just seemed like it was like a cheat way or it was like a shortcut to getting back on tour to where like I didn't really earn it. I just did this show and, I guess I was competing against guys that weren't at that top level, but I was able to like be gifted these things. So it's definitely reassuring for me to go out in the challenger series and perform strong and kind of really shut all those things down. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I kind of go back to the everything in the last 18 to 24 months from the outside for you, you've been firing on all cylinders, whether it was, you know, blitzing the ultimate surfer whether it was dominating the challenger series putting out like a, a hyper memorable part in snap four I, I mean i think that you've just been like targeting every opportunity over the course of this time mm-hmm. which has been really inspiring to watch yeah thanks i just i grew up watching andy and bruce and those guys and it really intrigued me that they were able to compete at the highest level as well as you know make crazy video parts and put be doing the best surfing in and out of the jersey. And I really, uh, I was really attracted to that. So, you know, for me to get the opportunity to be in the snap movie, I was like, this is my chance. You know, I've never really been in a big surf movie. So this is my chance to kind of go out there and prove that and be able to do that. And it was an exciting and very fun experience for me. Last question from the Instagram community is from at Jess underscore dot 2004, who asks, what is your prediction for the 2022 CT qualification? I think she's maybe asking who else do you think is going to qualify on the, uh, the men's and women's tours? Any, any predictions? Any predictions? It's so crazy because 
everyone, it seems like everyone's in arm's length. It just depends on how Hollywood unfolds. And looking at the forecast, it's going to be firing. So really anything can happen. And I feel like the QS is always in this situation where maybe some of the best surfers don't really do that good on the road or through the year. But then when they come to Hawaii, they get this opportunity to compete in these epic waves. And that's why you have these crazy performances from guys that are low on the ranking but end up doing really good and shooting all the way up into qualification. So that's a really hard one to call. But definitely Imai Kalani, I'm really excited for him. He's been putting on a strong performance. And being a fellow Native Hawaiian, I'm just stoked to see him doing so well and possibly be on tour next year. I feel like he's uh, he's been surfing so well and he's going to surprise a lot of people. You know, this kid's got some crazy talent that – I feel like he's one of those guys that kind of got stuck on the QS and had to figure out how to get through it and, and compete. Um, but also, you know, guys like Baron Mamiya, I mean, I feel like he's in, he's really low on the ranking right now, but he's an arm's length. Like, don't be mistaken. And with this forecast coming up, I'm really rooting for him to have a strong performance and just give himself a chance, you know. I just Whether you actually do it or not is a huge call at that point, but – just to be able to go out there and show what kind of surfing you can do, I'm excited for him. So I'm hoping he kind of pushes himself and is able to narrow in on his goals because I've worked a lot with him on the offseason and we've done some trips and surfed a lot together. So I'll be excited for him to put on a good performance at Hollywood. Love it. So we're down to our final segment. It's time for mm-hmm. the lightning round presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. So these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Twin fin. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Last book you read? Oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. It's been a while since I read. I think the last time I read a book was on The Ultimate Surfer. Uh, It was like The Warrior Mindset or something by Taka... Sumi something I don't know Ali actually gave me the book on the show so that's why I read it, it was awesome. I think he I think he brought it up on his episode <laughs> it's good I'm yeah glad you guys read it best surf film ever best surf film ever Blue Horizon mm-hmm. one wave you never have to go back to but yeah Brazil I don't ever want to go back to that wave <laughs> sorry <laughs> if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life pipeline best person to share a lineup with my fiance worst person to share a lineup with um a longboarder <laughs> all right last question last one finish the sentence i will next achieve a state of happiness by next achieve the state of happiness by having fun great answer zeke Lau, congrats on all your success i'm really looking forward to seeing what you do at the Michelob ultra pure gold holly of a challenger event as well as on the 2022 championship tour season and congrats on winning the ultimate surfer, man. You're, you're on a heater and uh, it's great to see. It's great to see someone like you surfing so well. And uh, yeah, looking forward to more of it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Super stoked. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Hawaii's Ezekiel Lau. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you tune in um, right now, probably, for the Michelob Ultra Pure Gold Challenger Series event at Haleiwa, determining who's next in terms of qualifying for the elite WSL Championship Tour in 2022. One more shot in the arena of the North Shore. Do not miss it. 
It's streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. This episode of The Lineup is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The Lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the native Hawaiian people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.